To our new passengers, aloha and welcome. As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone, and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. The show will begin momentarily. Thank you. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast, provided on our own version of the information highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking, please. Thank you. Dave's Disney View is a look at the Walt Disney World Resort and sometimes beyond, as seen through the eyes of Dave, a frequent visitor, a one-time cast member, and an engineer who simply enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. Now, please keep your party together and put on your virtual mouse ears. And by all means, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Dave again, here to answer your Disney-related questions on my podcast. Remember, you can always send me a question that you have to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. It's been, well, feels like too long since the last time I tried to answer some of these questions, so I thought I'd get around to answering some of them that have been in my inbox for a while. Uh, We start off with uh, Brian, who writes to me and says, I've read that after attendance dropped off post-9-11, Disney Shelf plans to add more monorail tracks to the Hollywood Studios and the Animal Kingdom. Do you know if there's any plans to revisit this idea in the near future. Well, Brian, I can tell you, if there's one thing that I can say about Disney's planning is that it always is subject to change. Until there's ground broken and you see something happening, plans are always going to change, and they may. Uh, But on the flip side, almost no idea is lost forever. Disney is really good about uh, leaving them on a planner's desk or on a file cabinet somewhere for a long time and then kind of pulling out the plans again and revisiting them. Uh, But they may come back, you know, so there's always the chance to come back at some point. So here's the story that kind of backs up the question for those of you who don't know. Before 9-11, back in 2001, there was a transportation plan at Walt Disney World, and it included expansion of the monorails to the studios and to the Animal Kingdom. And depending on who you believe, uh, at least to a few of the other hotels and perhaps to downtown Disney. Now, why do I say it like that? Because the news spread like wildfire around the Internet. But as with most plans, it's hard to know what what was real, what was official, or possibly what was speculation. My understanding that it was primarily real, that they were planning on expanding the monorail to some degree. Uh, And there was at least one announcement from Disney that helped authenticate the the piece about expanding the monorail. So in all likelihood, it was at least being discussed and there was some part of an expansion that was going to happen. And also, we can hearken back uh, to Walt himself, who had planned for a monorail to run pretty much everywhere on Disney property. It's in the video uh, that you see of the introduction to Walt Disney World. Just look at the two-story high map he points to on the famous Walt Disney World preview film back in 1966. And uh, you can see that he had monorails running everywhere. His vision really was something, and it's amazing to me that nearly 45 years later, uh, we're still talking about it as being his vision. So then, uh, kind of continuing the story, in September 2001, as attendance dropped off, anything that might be considered an expensive addition was scrapped. Uh, That included hotel additions, monorails, and anything else that would be uh, somewhat expensive, more of a luxury item in some ways. So here we are, it's 2011, and the economy is uh, generally improved. And we're seeing more construction at Walt Disney World and more high-priced additions uh, are being added all the time. So you're seeing some of these vacation club properties and some of the other things that are being added. Uh, 
So, is the monorail expansion back on the table? Well, there's no way to know for sure, but I did a little checking around and tried to learn a little bit more. Reality says that the uh, current track hasn't been expanded since the 1982 Epcot expansion. Then, earlier this summer, we had a glimmer of hope when Disney announced there was a monorail project that was on the table. But it turns out that it was a little bit less than we might have hoped for. It was for a spur line that was created near the Transportation and Ticket Center to allow a sort of a work area for the monorail closer to the Epcot line. So if you think about the way the monorail lines and switches work, if you have a monorail on the Epcot line, they have to stop all the monorail service around the entire track as they switch the monorail or work a tractor onto or off of the line. This new facility that's over by the TTC uh, allows for maintenance vehicles to be kept in a central location and possibly for an additional monorail to be housed there uh, so they can easily bring it onto the line to uh, account for additional capacity or uh, for routine maintenance. Remember, though, that they don't have enough space for the monorail in the monorail roundhouse to store all of their monorails each night. So you often see them parked in the contemporary as well. So that's part of the plan here is now they have another space for a monorail to be parked. And this makes a lot of sense in light of the accident a few years ago as well, because they don't have to switch a monorail all the way off the line at the end of the night. You can simply park it there and leave it there in the, uh, in the Epcot uh, maintenance shed. Now, I have nothing to back this up, but I assume that at least in part this expansion may have happened as a direct result of the, ex- the accident. This may be an effort to uh, try and overcome some of the uh, complexities of trying to get a monorail off the line. But in any case, the upside to this addition is that it could open the door for more expansion in the future because now you have a means to support different lines. So you have a a station there where you can basically bring the monorail in for routine maintenance. Now for the speculative part. I found someone who claims to have taken the eight hours behind the Magic Tour. And during the tour, the group made a visit to the monorail shop where they were able to get a sneak peek of some plans and blueprints for an upcoming monorail expansion to Disney's Hollywood Studios and Downtown Disney. She reported that a cast member said the construction had already begun and would be opening in late 2012 or early 2013. Now, of course, we haven't seen anything happening other than the maintenance area, so it's at least possible that this is the first step that kind of leads to that expansion. And then I also uh, found a friend of a friend, um, you know, those proverbial people who, uh, who kind of you know when you want to talk to, um, and he possibly knew something more. But again, kind of remember that even cast members don't always know the whole truth, and plans are always subject to change. This person suggested that uh, this is at least a possibility that they will be expanding it. But the system might be uh, something a little bit different than the monorail as we know it. Perhaps it'd be more of a smaller train, an automated train, or something along a light rail system that would uh, move back and forth among these different areas from the Transportation and Ticket Center to potentially the Animal Kingdom to uh, Downtown Disney to the Disney Hollywood Studios. Now, to me, this makes a lot of sense because it's been reported that the cost to build a full-fledged monorail is on the order of millions of dollars per mile, and it's tens of millions, I think, is what I've heard. Certainly, running buses is more cost-effective than building something that's tens of millions of dollars per mile, so it would stand to reason that a smaller system that's a light rail-type system or a smaller monorail system might make sense for an expansion rather than building the uh, the full-fledged monorail. So that's the, uh, the story as I understand it. Uh, you know, stay tuned. There may be a lot more coming up. Now, since we're talking about monorails, you may have heard that Disney had reduced the monorail operating hours for a couple of months. The reason for that, uh, very simply, is that they needed to do some upkeep on the tracks and the trains themselves. The monorail system has been stressed out with the uh, number of trains that have been running uh, regularly. Um, and some of the trains that are currently on the line have been uh, right around the 20-year mark that they've been on the, uh, on the tracks, which is toward the end of their normal operating lifespan. 
So that also means that at some point in the not-so-distant future, Disney's going to have to replace at least some of the trains uh, and maybe upgrade from uh, the Mark 6 trains that they're running now. And who knows? That may coincide with adding new lines. Maybe they do all of this kind of as a, as a partner project and, and get it all going. So that reminds me, too, that uh, Walt Disney World was running 11 trains. Uh, when I last talked about the monorail a while ago, they, I said they were going to be adding a 12th this fall. And uh, the 12th actually came into service uh, beginning October 11th uh, when Monorail Peach was brought into service. Uh, they're still currently testing it, but in the next few weeks they expect it to be into full operation. Peach was built uh, using what was salvageable from the two cabs that were involved in the monorail accident uh, last year, and uh, some newly fabricated parts and some parts that they were able to uh, create themselves and some that they purchased, um, with the remaining cars from the pink and purple trains making up the six cars that, uh, that for monorail Peach. So that means we, are, we now have 12 monorails back on the tracks, and just to kind of remind you what the colors are, we currently have red, coral, orange, gold, yellow, lime, green, blue, silver, black, teal, and the peach. So that's the, uh, that's the monorail system we have currently. So thanks, Brian, for the uh, question. And now I'd like to turn to a question from a friend of mine named John. Uh, John asked me about uh, having a family member who has special needs, and I want to take him to Disney World. I have concerns and wondered if Disney is accommodating, and what resources do I have available, and I'm not even sure where to start. Hey, it's a great question, and I've had other people ask me the same question. Uh, I had another friend of mine ask me this a few weeks ago, actually. Kind of funny how these things happen. And it is a really good question, and I know that Disney makes every effort to make the magical experience available to everyone. I found on their website, uh, I thought there was a pretty good uh, comment here. It says, uh, write yourself into an enchanting fairy tale at the Walt Disney World Resort, a magical place of our exciting theme parks and two incredible water parks. Let your childhood dreams come true in a world as big as your imagination, where fantasy comes to life and vacations end happily ever after. To assist the many guests with disabilities that visit the Walt Disney World Resort each year, to better plan their trips, we have created a series of text pages of information designed for maximum accessibility. They're intended to provide a general overview of the experiences available at the Walt Disney World Resort, along with specific information about disability access. And you can read through them in some detail, but let me talk about them for just a minute. Um, what many of us who were cast members or regulars to the park realize is that Walt Disney World um, is one of the most magical places on Earth and is the most friendly uh, for folks requiring any kind of special assistance. Now, this could mean accessible water fountains, accommodating chefs, handheld captioning, uh, companion restrooms, and much more. You can have an enjoyable vacation if you have special needs. Now, these special needs can cover a wide range of different topics. Uh, you could really think about special needs as being anything special that you need outside of just being a guest who just kind of comes into the park and takes it as it is. So it could include the need for the companion-assisted restroom, uh, accessible resort rooms, uh, attraction seating, special places that you need to sit in order to see the show better or hear it differently, uh, needs of ADD or ADHD, uh, autism, hearing, latex allergies, Mobility, service animals, size concerns, special dietary needs including celiac sprue, food allergies, uh, needing to keep kosher, low-carb, and other special diets, vegetarian and vegan, special medical needs, and even visual impairment. Most attractions, restaurants, and shops are accessible to all guests. In some cases, however, guests may need the assistance of a member of their party to fully utilize these areas. Also, at some attractions, guests using wheelchairs may need to transfer from the wheelchair into a ride system. Hosts and hostesses are not permitted to physically transfer guests from wheelchairs. We therefore recommend the guests plan to visit with someone who can physically assist them when necessary. Now, you may have noticed when you're on an attraction at times, the attraction will stop, and it seems sort of random. It just stops for a minute or two, and then it gets going. 
A lot of times that's because they're uh, loading or unloading someone who has a special need who needs to transfer from a wheelchair or lock in the wheelchair if it's, a, if, if it's an attraction that can hold the wheelchair and accommodate it. So you'll see that uh, once in a while that'll happen, and uh, that's a lot of times the reason for it. So it gives you a sense of just how many people uh, may need that special help when they come into the parks. So clearly they do accommodate that. There's a guidebook for guests with disabilities that provides a detailed overview of services and facilities available for guests with disabilities. And that's available at guest relations locations throughout all four Walt Disney World parks and guest services locations in the resorts. Uh, the booklet provides an overview of the uh, services and facilities available for guests with disabilities, including information about parking, restrooms, auxiliary aids, telephones, transportation facilities, and specific attraction entrance and boarding procedures. And, of course, guests with specific disability concerns can visit Guest Relations at any of the theme parks uh, for additional information and assistance. The cast member you speak with will be happy to discuss in greater detail the available options to provide a memorable visit. And as for the resorts, well, there are options that you can request for your resort that include uh, wheelchair-accessible bathrooms, room for the hearing-impaired or deaf guest, room for the visually-impaired or blind guest, uh, roll-in showers, uh, tub and handrails with wheelchair access or not, uh, bed raised for a higher lift, uh, VIP clean for allergies or for no chemicals and scents, or uh, if you need to um, remove all linens and bring your own linens, replace with new linens due to severe peanut allergies, double rinsed linens, air filter replaced and carpets cleaned, handrails, carpet has not just been cleaned, the TDD kit, uh, transfer bench and handheld showers, extra pillows, connecting rooms for medical assistance, hospital bed delivered, microwave for medical requests, items removed from the room such as soaps, uh, the recliner, rubber sheets, no down or feather pillows due to allergies, bringing a service animal. So you see that there's so many things that they'll do that they accommodate if you just call the hotel in advance and uh, let them know what your needs are. And of course, you can visit uh, www.disneyworld.com for more information, or you can call the general information line at 407-824-4321, uh, and you can uh, talk to someone there to, uh, to be able to help you. Uh, if you want to use the TTY, it's 407-827-5141, and uh, you can get in that way. Now, the, uh, the one piece I'd throw at you is you should call the hotel and make sure they're aware of whatever you need. You've made your reservations through Central Reservations Office. You've talked to everyone there. I would call the hotel directly. This way you can talk to someone uh, who will actually be there on site when you check in. Usually if you talk to a lead or supervisor, you can assure that, that they will be there and uh, will be able to meet your needs as you uh, check into the hotel. Um, so you just need to talk to them. As always, just be nice and uh, polite, and you'll, uh, you'll get to the point, and you'll be able to uh, get the most magical visit out of your stay. And then I also like to think about convenience and what works for you. So if you're a person with special needs or someone who supports them, think about what you can do, what you want to do, what makes life easier, what, you know, how far do you want to go? If it's, if it's something that's, uh, you know, it's, it needs to be handicapped accessible, you know, how, how far are you willing to go? Can you get out of the uh, wheelchair you're in? Um, if you're, if you happen to be blind or deaf, um, what is it you would like to do and how would you like to, uh, engage in these things? How do you want to see them or hear them? Perhaps it's worth a little extra money to stay at a monorail hotel in some cases so that it's easier to get to where you want to go. You stay at the Contemporary or uh, at the Polynesian and you're able to easily get to uh, the Magic Kingdom and then just transfer over if you need to go to Epcot. Or maybe it's better to drive and park in a handicapped space nearer the, uh, the front entrance of the, uh, of the theme park. What I always like to think of is that you should always take it at a pace that's comfortable for you, the entire experience. Don't try to rush to do things. Enjoy it. Take it in and, you know, take as much time as you need. Talk to cast members. They will be great assets to you if you just ask questions and let them know what you need. They'll be happy to help you out. 
it's like anything. You know, when I was a single guy, I did the parks one way. Now that I have kids, I do them a different way, um, at a different pace. Is it any less enjoyable? No, of course not. It's, it's just different. But when, they, when I'm going at their pace, I'm getting so much out of it through their eyes. And you kind of have to look at it that way. If you're traveling with someone with a disability, see it through their eyes and try to help them accommodate to make sure what's, uh, that you can do what they can do. So in John's case, I know that uh, there's a, a good opportunity to, uh, to see some of the fireworks if you stay over at the Contemporary. And uh, you can watch them if you get a, happen to get a, a room that overlooks the uh, Seven Seas Lagoon. You can actually see the fireworks uh, from your hotel room, which is kind of nice. And then everybody can enjoy the fireworks and you don't have to worry about beating the crowds out at night or trying to get out at a, at a late hour. So you can really take it in and enjoy it. Um, you know, think about what works for you. That's what I always like to say. And by all means, you know, consult with the person who's got the disability and see what they would like to do and how far they would like to go. You know, they can enjoy it as much as anyone else, maybe just a little bit differently. So that's my take on it, uh, and I hope that answered your question. Okay, I got an email here from a Richard who writes and says, here's my scenario. I prepaid for a PhotoPass CD before my trip. When we came home, I uploaded the cards. Whenever I had a free moment, I would go to the pictures and make the necessary adjustments. These past few days at work were really busy, so I completely forgot when the pictures were going to expire. And it dawned on me to go online and put the order in for the finished CD. I noticed that yesterday was the deadline. I had uploaded over 400 photos into my account. Are they gone forever? I can still view them in my account, but it gives me no way to, to order the CD. Any tips you can give me? I'm mad for putting myself in this position. Okay, so to Richard and anyone else, talk yourself down a little bit. This isn't the end of the world. There's always an opportunity. Thankfully, you're in better shape than you might have assumed. And before I could uh, even get this question out there, Richard had already managed to resolve it himself with basically the advice I would have given. And I'll share that with everyone here. Don't stress about it. Call customer service at the first available opportunity. If it's past the customer service hours, call them the next day and talk with the friendly, knowledgeable cast members who are on the other end. It turns out, you'll find out if this happens to you, that they, this happens fairly frequently, that people just forget about the date and it's, it's a little late. Usually, the cast member on the other end can, use, can restore the account within moments. They can just do it right there and uh, reactivate it. And often, they'll give you an extension to continue viewing photos for a while longer. To quote Richard, talk about being sprinkled with pixie dust. She dumped it on me. Remember this when you talk about PhotoPass. Disney realizes that they're sitting on top of a gold mine. And their number one goal is to make the guests satisfied. So they're going to do whatever they can within reason to make sure the experience is memorable and they allow you to work with your pictures and take home those memories. You may recall in a past Q&A that I offered uh, up that I had lost a PhotoPass uh, at one point, and they were able to help me recover that photo pass, the pictures that were on it, uh, just by me giving them some descriptions, times, days, where I was, and I even had a photo that I had taken from behind the photo pass photographer, and they were able to recover it for me. So my general advice is, when in doubt, pick up the phone or email and ask for a little help. Be nice, and almost certainly the uh, cast member who uh, receives the email will help you out. Yeah, they're always willing to go that extra mile. That's part of what makes it special to be a cast member. You get the opportunity to really stand out and help the, help the guest. So they're going to want to try and reach out to you and help you as much as they can. And like Richard said, you know, you got dumped with pixie dust. What a great thing. You know, it's a great moment for a cast member when you can give someone that moment of magic when they feel it. And they feel their relief, and they go, oh, thanks, I really got this. And as a cast member, you're going, I could help somebody out and have their, have their vacation be magical. So there's something really nice to be said for that. Next up, I get an email from a Karen who writes in and asks, we're going the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, we're hoping for low crowds and nice weather. And as an aside, yep, you should get both of those at that time of year. We have four full non-travel days and three days left on our no expiration passes from a pe- previous trip. 
Do you think we should purchase one-day tickets or do only three park days? Another option we're considering is Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party on our first or last day, but my kids are ages four and seven, and I don't know how late they can last, especially at the end of the trip. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Okay. So let me start off. Let me talk about Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. It's a great time. It's a really fun time to go in the park and just enjoy the park. Um, and they limit the number of guests that can go in the park. And it's just a fun party. And there's, if I remember correctly, there's cookies and hot chocolate. And there's all kinds of carolers going on. And there's a, a special parade. And there's all kinds of fun activities that are happening up and down Main Street and all along uh, every little corridor you can think of. Plus, of course, most of the attractions are open and the lines are going to be a little bit less because everybody's enjoying all the other Christmas festivities. So it's a great opportunity to really enjoy the parks. Typically runs from 7 to midnight on any night that they're having it. What they will do, though, is they'll let you in the park starting at 4 o'clock. They close the park to regular guests at 7 and start ushering everyone out and they give you a wristband so that they know you're there for the uh, Christmas party and you can stay around until midnight. So you're there and you get essentially 8 hours in the park for the price of admission. So it's a pretty good time, and it's a lot of fun. Now, you kind of have to balance that. So if you already have a park day, and your park day, you were going to go into the park one of those days and be there till 7 o'clock, then, you know, that three hours is kind of lost. Not a big deal, because you're going to be there anyway and just need to get the wristband, and you can, uh, you can stay in the park. So that's one option you'd have. Another option, what I like to do typically, is I'll find the uh, Christmas party or the Halloween uh, party that I'm going to go to, and I won't plan on going in the parks the next day. So I'll plan on staying with the kids until midnight, and uh, the next day we'll either go in the parks later or we won't go in at all. So that's you know certainly an option you have. Um, you can press, 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 and keep the kids going a little bit. You know They'll have a great time anyway. They'll conk out when they conk out. You can still have some fun anyway. So that's certainly an option. The price of going into Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party is less than buying a single-day park ticket, so I would generally recommend that over buying a single-day park ticket. If you can manage it in your, in your trip to kind of do the parks and uh, kind of enjoy it that way, that might work out. You know, if you do it at the beginning of your trip, I think you said you had um, uh, either the first or the last day. So if you do it on the first day, you might want to go into the parks later on the second day. You know, so you basically you sleep in, you kind of take it easy, maybe you hit the pool at your resort. Or the option is to do it on your last day and just go ahead and let it go until midnight, and then you take your travel day home the next day, which uh, kind of would make it fun because then you have that memorable experience of the night before. Though I guarantee your kids will be tired as they're heading home, even if they did conk out in the park. The alternate you have to that is to not do a Disney park uh, one of the days. And in that case, and even if you do Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party and you kind of go in later or you do something else, you might want to find something else to do uh, around uh, the Walt Disney World Resort. You know, maybe you uh, go over to Downtown Disney and check out some of the things that are over there. Sometimes it's fun just to go over and just kind of tool around there a little bit and just take it easy and not, not stress too much. Maybe take the characters in flight or something and uh, do something different that you haven't done before. Or uh, maybe go mini-golfing. There's a couple of miniature golf courses there if your kids like mini-golf. That's a fun way to spend a fair amount of time during the day. You know, and then you kind of take a break and you have some lunch. Maybe you do both, both courses in the same day. It becomes a pretty long day that way. You know, so maybe you do something and, you know, you kind of break it up that way. So there's options you have available to you. You know, you can make it as much of a vacation as you want. And it really depends on you and your personality, um, you know, what your kids are like and how much, you know, how much they want to go into the parks and stuff. My kids, when they go, they would pretty much, much rather go to the Magic Kingdom and just stay there for the entire trip, as much time as they can possibly be in the Magic Kingdom. And I'm with them. I love the Magic Kingdom. I think it's a great place to be. So, you know, if that's what they want, then maybe you just do that and you do Mickey's Very Merry. 
But on the other hand, you know, I press my kids sometimes. I go, you know, we've done Magic Kingdom five million times. Why don't we go over and do something else? And that's how I, we went over and we did miniature golf. And that's how we've done some of the other activities we've done. That's why we're, uh, we have the annual pass to the water parks that you heard about in the past. Because we wanted to do some different, have some different experiences and do some different things than we had done before. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I take it. Now, how you take it, it really depends on what you think you want to do and how much time your kids want to spend in the parks and how much you want to spend in the parks. You will be tired. But then again, if you, went to a park and the you know if you went to the magic kingdom on most nights and it happened to be open at midnight till midnight you might have the same situation you'd be in the park and the next day you want to go back to the park so what you might want to do one option is to pick like um maybe do mickey's very merry christmas party at the beginning of your trip so it ends at midnight and then the next day you do something like an epcot that you know the world showcase doesn't open until 10 anyway and you don't go there until maybe 11 or something later so that way everybody sleeps in just a little bit so it's really up to you, but you know, I just wanted to give you some tips and advice on, uh, on how you might approach it. And finally today, the last question comes to us from a Deb who asks me, I was thinking about applying for the Disney Visa card. Do you think it's worthwhile? Now, see, worth is kind of a funny thing. Worthwhile is, is sort of a, um, a concept here. The Disney Visa card itself doesn't offer any great bonuses most of the time. Uh, most of the time, it's essentially a 1% cashback card. Now, I'm not going to say that that's always true because I don't know all their terms and conditions. I don't know what goes on there. But generally speaking, um, I, have it, I have one of their cards, and uh, I find that it's about a 1% cashback card. That I could use that 1% to get Disney points, and then I can use those Disney points on uh, various uh, Disney-related activities. So I can get the card, the, uh, the, the redeemable cash card, basically, or I can make reservations to the central reservation office and use my points that way. If you're going to be using it for a lot of expenses, then it's a great way to earn that 1% and kind of use it, kind of have it set aside for the Disney experience. But they don't offer a lot of perks and a lot of extras. Occasionally, they'll offer a couple of extra percent if you buy something or you spend so much in, you know, in groceries or gas or whatever. But realistically, it's, it's a 1% card. Um, and you have to remember that you, know, you lose that 1% if you start paying interest. You want to pay it off at the end of every month so that you get the maximum amount of your, of your bonus, right? So you get that 1% back. So you have to kind of treat it like almost like it's cash. You're just going to use it as a, as a short-term credit thing. Now, on the other hand, there are a number of other credit issuers out there that don't have the cool card like Disney. I mean, I love the Disney card, and I like to take it out once in a while just because it's fun. It's got – I have the one with uh, Mickey and Donald and Goofy on it, and uh, I think Minnie's on it too. And I take that out every once in a while, and it's kind of fun just to put it out on the table because I get people to smile, and I kind of like that. You know, And for that reason alone, I like to have it in my wallet. But on the other hand, uh, when I look at it, I go, you know, it doesn't get me any great benefit. There are other credit issuers out there that give you a better benefit, uh, and you can get the cash reward at the end of the year and use that toward uh, Disney vacation anyway. Just take the cash and use it. So, you know, it's the, the value of it, is it worthwhile? Well, yeah, for a lot of reasons it's good and it's really kind of nice. But is it, you know, is it better than some of the other cards out there? Perhaps not. Um, you know, I'm not trying to steer you one way or the other. You have to evaluate your own credit and decide what you want to do and, you know, what kind of, what kind of card you want. But just in general, um, I think, you know, if you take it as a 1% cash card and you think about it that way, it may not be, have as much worth as some of the other cards that are out there. My, my way of thinking about it. Well, that's it for this week. I hope I've answered some of your Disney-related questions and given you some insights into the Disney parks. And that's all I have for this week, so please feel free to keep sending me those questions to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to go look at my Hidden Mickeys app. It's uh, at uh, disneypodcast.net slash hidden-mickey, and you can go check it out. You can download a copy for your iPhone, or you can use the uh, mobile version on your uh, other smartphone, and enjoy the Hidden Mickeys, and I hope you, I hope you uh, take advantage of them. 
And that's all I've got for this week. I am out. See ya. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. From all of us, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast today. If you're standing, please hold onto the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the show stops completely and the doors open. Ladies and gentlemen, please collect your personal belongings, watch your head and step, and take small children by the hand. As this concludes our journey, we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you drive home safely. Our thanks go to Doug at geekacres.net for his contributions to the show. And also to Craig for the original music you hear on the show. You can find Craig's music over at ReverbNation.com slash sound A. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the show, please feel free to contact Dave at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Show notes and links to other great content on the web can be found at disneypodcast.net. Now, I will raise the safety bar, and a podcaster will follow you home. Ha 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 